right, ladies and gents, it's that time. Turn up your speakers, strap on a smile. It's the Sims and Lepko Podcast. Here's your host, Adam Lepko and Chris Sims. All right, okay, it is episode 65. Oh, man. Uh, I forgot. Uh, I, um, is it 65? Are you 65? sure? 65. Do you have a 65? I do. I just looked it up. I mean, I always have numbers because I can so always go back. 65? 65 would be my dad's center, Bart Oates, back in the day. Bart Oates. Yeah, 86 Giants. Uh, was on the 89-49ers. Bart Oates sounds like a guy that would come into the huddle and like burp and be like, sorry, Phil. <laughs> Bart Oates here reporting for duty. Bart was actually a lawyer. So he's a, what? He, yeah, he was, a, he was actually one of the smart offensive linemen. It's really funny. Players from that generation, like the 80s and 70s, they, since they didn't make too much money, had to have. They had really other jobs. Definitely. The one I looked at was Gary Zimmerman, who was a big-time <laughs> offensive lineman. Don't cough. I, I don't want you to get sick. Uh, in a weird twist, no producer Josh oh, today. Oh, where's our say? Go to jo- cut the camera to Josh. Oh, yeah, he's I not there. I don't think we have. He's it. in L.A. with his girlfriend. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, hey, control room. Good to see you guys. Oh, big hello. old wave. Oh, Eli Manning's in the back. Eli, you don't look as athletic or big as usual. What <laughs> happened? <laughs> uh, there is a possibility that during the show, uh, a camera crew from CNBC could be coming in here. I don't know if you've heard, but we're kind of big time around yeah, here. Yeah, apparently they're doing like a spotlight on Bleacher Reports. So if they cool. come in, we're going to make fun of them. Yes. Uh, because who knows? They deserve uh, to be made yeah, fun of. Yeah, but it's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. We are shooting this on Thursday. Game game one of the NBA Finals is tonight. We're going to get into that in a second. Can you talk today? I don't know what's going on with my (laughs) tongue right now. It's, like, really weird. Uh, I have a question that we had all these news stories we wanted to get to about OTAs and all this. Yeah. What is the point of OTAs? I just thought about that earlier. Like, is it just to see everybody and make sure that you're alive and you haven't been eating Krispy Kremes? Like, what is the really big point? Yeah, I would say it's overrated, first of all. Uh, Well, listen, that certainly does go on. It is overrated. I'll say that. I'm glad we're talking about this, actually. Uh, And I think it's more beneficial, of course, to the young players more than anything. I mean, does Aaron Rodgers really need reps right now? Does Tom Brady, the guys like Ron Do the Gre- vets get annoyed? No, they don't get annoyed. The one thing I'll say about this, and I am a big believer, and this is why I think injury rates are up in the NFL, is because, first of all, OTAs are for the coaches. They're so bored, they have to do something right yeah. now. Because they've already, they've analyzed their team, they've broken down teams they're going to play, uh, they've done all these things. Now they're like, oh, what do we do? We're in the office, so we'll, let's have practice. That's really where I feel like they're OTAs. Bored. Yes, they really are, and they're such creatures of habit, but uh, I do. Getting back to the injury rate thing, I think OTAs are certainly a big reason to blame for injuries because it does take away from your training. It's you're only allowed a certain amount of times in the building, right. so now the weight room, the strength and conditioning part of it gets cut down because you have meetings and practice. Meanwhile, and, these guys really just want to be lifting and working on their bodies. Well, probably. right. In the old days, that's all you did, and then you had one big mini camp. But I mean, it's scientifically proven. You got to have six weeks of pure strength training, endurance training to strengthen muscles and ligaments. Really? And I, yes. And I've I think that, that. Is, Yeah, and I think that is a big reason you see uh, some maybe injuries that we haven't seen in years past. Or more, I know the game's bigger, more aggressive, yeah. faster, all those things. But I don't necessarily think OTAs are helping everybody. Very bit. Listen, think about this. We had the strike year, right? The yeah. year of the CBA year where there was no offseason. I've heard this before. Yeah, I know before. you've heard me say it. But, 
I mean, what was there, three 5,000-yard passers? Right. Oh, man, those were OTA reps. The- well, that's why, like, to me, so then explain this for the fans. Right. I'm seeing a lot of stuff on the Roto Worlds and the pro football talks about this guy's really starting to look great, and this guy's in the bubble. He might not make the team. And right. This guy- how much would you, stock would you put into any storyline coming out right now about how well a, per, a player is performing and how poorly? Well, I, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't be totally concerned with the player that's poorly. Uh, I mean, listen, there's no contact in OTAs. It, it's all about maybe some timing and rhythm, refining of techniques, right. things like that of that nature. So from that standpoint, it makes sense. What about like a physical appearance? Yeah, well, it's going to be judged because that's what coaches do. Yeah, and they're certainly going to talk about it, but. It's like even if they're down or high on a player or low on a player, when they leave OTAs and they break for that month, you come back to training camp and it almost starts back at ground zero. So, so there is no, hey, a month ago, it's ground zero. Yeah, it, Interesting. It's, it does. It goes back to that. Now, listen, they might start one guy and say, okay, you be the starting corner because you were a little better in OTAs, but they're going to be back to judging fairly on an even playing field. Different almost. energy, OTA versus training camp? Yes, training camp is all business. And, and yeah, What's is, the energy for OTAs? Then? OTAs is like, you know, for it's almost to like an NFL Friday practice. Like it's two days before the game. We want to go out, go through the motions, get a little sweat, working on some new plays and everything. But we don't want to overexert ourselves. We don't want anybody to get hurt. That's where that is. Where training camp, it's like you're almost getting ready Kill for a game. Someone. You're like, okay, here we go. It's the first day of training. It's the most nervous moment of my life. Uh, I got more nervous my first for, day of training all camp. All the training camps are just the first that one. That first one, my rookie training camp. The Bucks had just won the Super Bowl. And I was sitting there stretching. And I'm, you know, coming from Texas. I played in a lot of big football games. And I was like... Man, I'm stretching. I'm, I'm more nervous for this than I was. And I had to play Oklahoma, and they were number one, and we were number two. Yes. Uh, because I knew I had John, Gr- John Gruden, who was demanding a lot of me. This team didn't need me. They were holding things to a high standard. Yeah. The defense, of course, was local. That, it's so, so funny. I was talking to my friend Max. Uh, we went to college together, and he's starting a job at Google soon. Right, right. And I was like, are you getting those first day of school jitters where you're going to walk in? And he's like, oh, absolutely. I think that's just a human thing. It is, definitely. Anytime you're going to go around a place with other humans right. to do stuff, you get really yeah, intimidated. Yeah, you're no doubt about it. Right. Oh, it, so you weren't you weren't talking trash or anything like that. Definitely not. Were, how were you in the OTAs that year? The OTAs that were year. Were you cool and confident? I, w- I was. I was pretty cool and confident. In fact, the OTAs helped me gain confidence. Not okay. only in knowing the offense, but I think I told you some stories when Rondé came on a few weeks ago. You know, I made a few good throws in OTAs, and guys like Rondé and John Lynch were yeah. like, what'd you see? How'd you make that throw? Right. And I said, I was like, oh, man, they must have kind of liked what I did. Yeah. And that gave me confidence. Did you say anything in your OTAs when you were first? Man. Yeah, not much. My, I remember in rookie training camp one time, like, Derek Brooks was talking crap back to me as a young – and I turned around and said something, and Gruden reprimanded me. He's like, hey, shut your mouth, you know, you f-ing rookie. Josh, type that down. Yeah, no, you're not here. Sorry. Here. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like I said, OTAs are beneficial to the young guys more than anything. Mm. Young first, second-year players. And maybe they do have a little more importance to veterans now because training camp's not the way it was back in the yes. old days or even in my day, which is crazy to say. I mean, in my day, we would go the first 14 days in a row, two-a-days, and be in full pads the majority of of both of those practices every day. I'm reading a book by Rich Cohen that we're going to have him on soon. He wrote Monsters, which is about the 85 Bears. But in it, he goes back to the beginning, the founding of the NFL with George Hallis. Right. His, they, he goes back to George Hallis's childhood. Well, yeah, he was and, the one that made the monsters in the midway. Yeah, but it, beyond that, it's right. about how he created the NFL from like these these crazy factory games and how it just turned into a league. Right. But how 
it, as soon as you showed a lack of toughness, yes, they were no longer interested in you as a player. And and I think about like the evolution of the game, right? And it's funny because it's gone like super counter to to concussion awareness, where it's like now it's it's smart to not put yourself in that position. Yes. But the older generations, it's it's no, we wouldn't have allowed you to play it if you definitely didn't do not. That. And I'll even say to this point too. Now, I mean, the NFL, it it. It does expose who you are as a person. So if you're weak-minded, you if exposed? you're soft, uh, it's gonna it's gonna come out. Because you, you just saw ones. One well, registered I, in your head. I, I, I mean, there's probably a lot of guys I can think of. It wasn't just registered, but you just young guys that maybe didn't even make it in the league. Yeah. But I can remember certain instances where they were flustered in practice number three of training camp, and I'd be like. Damn, if he's flustered now, then if we're playing Carolina Panthers week four, he's going to be really flustered. Was it flustered. by the moment or like by the plays? It could just stuff. be anything or just the temperament or the lack of work ethic in the meeting rooms. All those things. The flaw in your character is going to be brought to the top. And what you do with that flaw is going to be very important. Are you going to improve that or is this just going to be a flaw written in stone and you're screwed as H- a player? When I covered uh, Calipari and Patino in Louisville, uh, they both had a different philosophy. Patino was, I'm going to find out your weakness, right. and we're going to fix that. Right. Calipari was, I'm only going to play to your strengths. Right. As a player, Gruden was what? Gruden uh, was... this guy? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Gruden, this is one of the areas where I have a flaw with Gruden, because Gruden, this is, and Gruden, as great as he was, yeah. as smart as he was, and you know I have a lot of respect for him, but also I would say the one thing he was was, I'm not going to change my offense for you, you got to change for me. Right. And that was not necessarily the right approach in my mind. Bill Belichick wasn't running the same offense for yeah, Matt how Castle. Bill, how did Bill do Bill it? had a great, great blend of both. Like, okay, you're not good at this. We're going to spend all offseason. I'm going to harp on you in training camp yeah. to make that part of your game get up there. And we're still going to focus on your strengths and be more creative. But he would limit those weaknesses. So it was like three years ago you're there. What were Brady's – did he harp on anything on Brady at that time? It, it, he did. In what? fact, the year I was there, I think he harped on it. I mean, it was, I was there in the pinnacle of harping. And that was the fact that Tom Brady – was not an effective down-the-field thrower of the football, which you've heard me and talk he about. he would say it? I, I mean, we would be out there in OTAs and, like, I mean, of course, it's Tom Brady. He's the man, and, and, and you know I know, think that about him. Top I don't agree with the deflate. Yeah, the deflate gate. Yes, he did it. Yes, I, I don't like that about him. But everything else I really respect about Tom. But, yeah, even with Tom Brady, as awesome as he was, they had just lost in the Super Bowl to the New York Giants. You know, he would make throws down the field, and it might not be accurate or maybe he threw in the double coverage, but Belichick, when he would walk back the huddle, would go, that a, that a boy, just keep throwing it down there. Force yourself to throw the ball down the field. We so need the reps. always in his head. Right, and he just continued to try to say that, diagnose plays that made him feel confident about throwing the ball down the field. But I think, in all honesty, I think they've given up on that. I really do. Really? And I think that's why you see them have guys like – they have three West Welkers on their receiving roster now. They have Amendola, they have Edelman, and they have Chris Hogan. So that's yeah. three West Welkers who can work the middle of the field. And they have two tight ends who are beastly, and that's where Brady's comfortable. I think they've given up on let's try to find a legit outside receiver because I don't think Tom wants to – And their, that's or why Gruden is in the booth. And Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. All time. Because it's about adjusting to what you got. No doubt about right it. Right now, I'm adjusting to not having Fendrick. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, hey. Uh, I hear you did some work on your own. So I'm on the beach. And other than talking about the Sixers, Joel Embiid, and Julia Okafor for hours, which right. is what my dad and his friends talked about constantly. <laughs> and it's like, guys, we're not going to see this for another two years. Uh 
we were. He, someone also said, "Do you really think that Mark Sanchez will be the starting quarterback at Denver?" Right. And I gave the whole spiel. Right. He fits the Kubiak system. Sure. He's a lot better than everyone says he right. is. Blah blah blah. And then you send me a text and go, "This Trevor Simeon kid." Yes, well, I, could I think be the starter. Well, I think the the, the first thing is this. Uh, okay, first of all, you hear Kubiak making some strong s- statements about him that don't don't count him out of this mix. He's you in this competition. BS. No, I really don't. Not when you say it more than once. He's said it a few times now, so that truly makes me believe. So, for it. people that don't realize, Trevor <laughs> Simeon was the lone quarterback remaining after Brock Osweiler left and Peyton Manning retired. Right. Kid graduated from Northwestern, drafted in the seventh round, overall pick two hundred and fifty. Uh, in the 2015 draft, and he was one of those guys where it, it was a, it was a funny point on TV. Right. And the only quarterback left on the Broncos roster is Trevor Simeon. Right. They'll definitely have to get a quarterback this offseason. <laughs> right. They get Sanchez, but you went back and watched Simeon. I did. Well, I, th- this is how I first found out about Simeon. Of course, I knew him from watching Northwestern football a little, but I I only do the first two rounds of the draft, so I didn't really study him that year right. coming out. Uh, but my dad first alerted me to him. My dad, who was, goes and does covered a, a ton of Broncos, exactly games right. Last year. So he would come back and he go, you know, hey, this is Trevor Simeon, he's he's the best thrower of the football on he that team. He would go to practice and go, he, he looked go, the best. He looked the best physically. He was the one that could spin it, throw it with the most pace, all uh. the different types of throws. He would say he's better than Brock Osweiler and Peyton when you would the go out there just million physically. Dollar man in a Hall of Famer, right? And and then as the season went on, I know Elway came out at one point and he even kind of s- said that same thing to Dad, like our. Our best thrower is Simeon. He's the most Elway consistent. Said that to Phil. He did. He said that to my dad. So I had him on the radar. I saw the Kubiak comments, and then I said, you know what? I got this laptop, and I have all this access to the film. Let me throw some preseason film on. I want to just go back and watch this kid. And he can do it. I really see the physical wow. ability. It's there. You're he, talking about the mobility in the pocket. Mobility, the throwing. Arm strength. Yes, he can really spin it. He can throw it with power. Uh, I think his skill set will fit what Kubiak wants to do. So I understand the conversation. That's going to be an interesting little battle. So, so you're confident in Sanchez, and now it sounds like you're confident in Simeon, too. I am, yes. And I know they're happy with, I mean, uh, not Osweiler, with Paxton Lynch as well. So oh, yeah. they've gone from. Hey, Paxton. Yeah, they've gone from having maybe not a very talented quarterback room to having three kind of athletically the other quarterback situation that's been going on that i know it's really upset you a lot yes is ryan fitzpatrick right so the latest update to when we're shooting this podcast is he came out and said you know what you guys are right i'll take that one year 12 million dollar offer that you guys made me i'm gonna drop this and end it the jets come out and go Dude, we never made you a one-year, twelve million dollar offer. We made you a three-year offer that happened to have that amount in the first, like right. It's three-year, twenty-four million, if I believe correctly, off the top of my head, and you can get incentives up into the thirty million. Right. And so now we're at another impasse. Right. And it's been interesting because it went from Fitzpatrick going, oh, "No way, I'm making a statement. I'm standing my ground. I'll, I'll maybe sign for less with another team on pure principle." So Chris only speaks in that voice <laughs> when he's really annoyed by something. <laughs> You're right. I so am. why is this well, annoying I'm, you so? Well, much? I'm annoyed by the quarterback situation in general in football. I mean, we've had this conversation, you and me, because we talk ball all the time. Yeah. But like, I mean, Brock Osweiler getting 18 million, like it goes back to our old conversation. Brock Osweiler was three Michael Bennett. So that though was so a that situation where you off. where you went. You went, yeah, it was crazy, but you went, hey, that's the market. Yeah. You never say that with Fitzpatrick. No, I don't, because at least I can justify it with Osweiler. He's young in his career. He's not even reached his prime yet. He's only played seven games, so maybe he can grow into something. 
But Fitzpatrick, we know what he is. There's a reason he's been on four teams in the last five years. There's a reason the Jets didn't make the playoffs. And, yes, I don't think he's in the position to be demanding this. And if he's going to be this leader and this so-called team player, go in there, practice, play well, get to the playoffs, and you'll probably have the power to restructure your contract yeah, once you, again next you, year. Hold on. You, you're the pro, you've told us before, you're the reason why you can't go in taking less I, and I, I, I get that. But also, $12 million in the first year is a, is, is a good amount of money. He's, nobody else is offering him that, True. or he would have already signed somewhere else. So uh, I, I just look at it a little bit as, yeah, and of course they're not going to three-year $24 million offers on the table. Why? Because it makes the salary cap hit a lot less. Now, oh, one year, $12 million? $12 million on the books. The Jets Boom. are in salary cap issues already. Yeah. And they have the Muhammad Wilkerson issue that they have to deal with the contract. So, And he's in the prime of his career. So why would they want to waste this on, G- on, on Fitzpatrick when everybody forgets uh, Geno Smith was going to be the starting quarterback for the Jets last year until he got punched in the face. And you're cool with him starting this year. I, I am cool with it. I've never, heard, I haven't heard anyone yet bring up the Muhammad Wilkerson thing. It's always about they need a quarterback and we got to pay him. Right. But that money will impact how much money they can spend on maybe the, one of the best defensive linemen in the league. Exactly right. Uh, you, and that's why they can't do it. And I, I, I would, I should have looked up there where they are in the salary cap. If anybody back there knows how to work the internet, look up where the Jets are <laughs> on the salary cap. Uh, Look at this shot right here. Can we take the Sims ISO shot again? For people listening in audio, this has been a Sims thing for quite some time. The top button. My (sighs) three million is what Canvasser is telling me. Uh, That was the Jets. They're three million under the cap? I believe so, yes. But I wanted to ask about this. So my dad began rocking the top button. Yeah, Bruce! Bruce! I don't know if this is a top button shirt. Oh, you don't? Oh, really? I didn't know you were uh, Carl Lagerfeld over here, and you're a fashion expert now. Who's you know Carl? Who, you don't know who Carl Lagerfeld is? I don't. Explore, expand your horizons, son. Yves St. Laurent, that's Carl Lagerfeld. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on TV last night. All right, good. We're, we're, I want to go off the rails with you because I'm done talking football. Right. We're at that time of but the year. But why we're focusing on my top button, which is a really cool look, uh, and I was way ahead of the fashion trends. Let's focus on the ladybug on your left nipple, please, Do you that you decide that? to wear all the time now. Yeah, it's a pin. It's a ladybug. Right. Can I tell you why I love it? Right. Because 99% of the conversations not go like this. Right. Is that a ladybug? And I go, I go, yeah. And then 99% of the time they go, you know, when a ladybug lands on you, it's, it's lucky, right? Right. So this ladybug's six years old. Why? The dots are how old they are. Really? Yeah. I forgot. So Chris is also a ladybug expert. I didn't realize that you grew up with ladybugs in your shower. In my bathroom. All right, tell the story. I mean, it's not a great story, but yeah, I had ladybugs in my bathroom growing up. I don't know if there was a nest above the light fixtures or whatever, but I'd take a shower and it would get steamy in the bathroom, like four or five, but always come out. And I loved them because I... Knew they were and would you be like, oh. That was the reason I was the number one recruit in the country. It wasn't because of talent. It was because of the ladybugs. <laughs> so weird. Um, uh, so game seven, where did you watch game seven of Warriors Thunder? Uh, game seven, I watched it. Uh, let's see. What, what, what night was that? Sun- I was in my house. Monday night. Monday night. I was in my house just sitting All there right, watching so it. So I went to a Warriors bar in New York, Lower East, uh, around Union Square called right. Finnerty's. 
crazy atmosphere. I'm an idiot. I go there with a Thunder fan who was like starting riots. I saw your Snapchats though. It was crazy. They were good. They were, they were we were getting booed and I was like trying to distance myself because I just wanted to watch basketball. And he had like the, your friend had like the, oh, like he yeah, wore, here we go. He wore I headphones saw for two, three hours before the game. And was dancing. And I said, I said, oh, dude, what are you doing? He goes, Durant needs this. Durant has to have this. And I was like, dude, you need to calm down. And what I realized was that's not the atmosphere that I like to watch sports. Right. Um, and I've realized this with football games, too. I do not like watching sports with people that are either super casual fans or people that, like, have to make it, like, have to say something on every play. Like, come on, ref. And it's like, no, like, yeah. that was an okay right. call. What is your perfect situation to watch sporting events? Like for game one of the NBA Finals, do you want to be home by yourself? I do. I do you want to? Can you have friends over? Yeah, but it would have to be the right friends. I wouldn't want to like. I, I would want. I really. I would be happiest if, if maybe you were there so or like my father, other, somebody yeah. where I could just know we could watch it. Maybe not talk for ten minutes. Yes. But then talk about something that happened in the game and get it's, in depth about it. It's kind of the worst thing ever when you're with a lot of people and there's always one guy who has to have an opinion on every play. Agre- yeah, I, I want, and I like, especially with games like this. I love, and I, don't listen give, to the announcers. I love listening to Mark Jackson and, and Mark Van Jackson, Gundy. Van Gundy, they and teach Breen me stuff are every, so good. Every game they teach, and me they're stuff. hilarious. They are. They have great little moments of freedom and freestyling, but they always teach me something about the player, the game, uh, the technical aspects, yes. which I really enjoy. So, Game Six was the incredible clay. I got emotionally invested in Game Six. That was amazing. Yeah, I got and, angry actually. Because I'm a little Golden State hater. You know, I really That's am. That's rare. Well, I, I mean, I'm a 90s. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Michael Jordan was my idol growing up. I, this team is not better than that 96 Bulls team. I don't care what anybody says. So I don't want them to win the finals for that, just for one. Yeah, but I'll and tell then, you, you know, what, the way the, they shot, they could beat anybody. That was amazing. And then, and of course, you know I'm one of the leaders of the LeBron James uh, bandwagon. So You are, and you're the leader of the Draymond Green is overrated bandwagon. Yes, which I think official is, I'm officially right. I Sorry. think you're feeling good about Buker that. Buker and Beck, I'm right. Uh, my, so the thing that happened, though, I realized in terms of like watching television, right. I've always thought that... People don't actually listen to the TV. I think they talk over the TV. And I'm going to call up my mom and dad here, and I hope they don't get upset. But we were, the, the game ended, and it, the game was on uh, ESPN. Right. Uh, and, or it was on, but they had post-game on ESPN. And Stephen A. Smith came on. And before he even started talking, my parents, oh, I can't listen to him. He's the worst, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And meanwhile, I'm trying to listen to Stephen right. A. Smith. And halfway through, I go, guys, just can you listen to him? Right. I'm like, you haven't even heard a word he said, and you're disagreeing with him. Right. And it's mm-hmm. it's really hard for me to watch TV sports with other people. I hear you. Because they talk over the television. Right. And there's one sport I and actually. And your dad is a commentator. Right. And people probably, I would say probably 80% of the people that are like, Phil Sims stinks or he's biased. And as soon as they see your dad go, oh, he's biased. They're not even listening to what he's saying you're at that exactly, moment. You're exactly They're just right. seeing him right. and projecting that right. onto him. Like, we have a Super Bowl party at the Sims household, my dad's house. And say there's, like, say we invite 25, 30 people. I mean, first of all, my dad's going to yell at people to shut up when the game's really? going on. Yes. And he's so this turn is games he's not calling. Yes, he's not calling the Super Bowl. Like, the, like we watched the, the Broncos Seahawks Super yeah. Bowl at his house, right? I mean, the volume's going to be on, like, 90. It's going to be so loud. You're going to be like, oh, my gosh, because he's going to be like, hey, shut up, the game's on. 
and then everybody can talk during commercials, but most casual fans, they want to watch the commercials and not really pay attention right, to the game. Right, right. So, the, uh, yeah, that was, I think that was the last time he said he was going to do that. He says, I'm never having that at a party. It's yet. not. It, it's it's just human nature. Right. And the problem is, is like, um, like producer Jake, who's back there, is like, hey, where are we watching the game tonight? Right. And I was like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. And he was like, oh, well, I know a Cavs bar. I was like, I don't want to be at a Cavs bar. Yeah, right. I don't want to be at a fan bar. Right. Because every call against them was wrong. Um who do you got in the in the series? Because we already made a bet, and I beat Sims. Uh, he picked the Spurs to go to the finals. I picked the Warriors, and it almost fell apart, but it didn't. <laughs> and now I won the bet. Who do you have winning this one? Well, I if you if you made me bet money at Vegas, I would take the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, uh, Buker picked them in five. Wow. I Buker would be shocked. Them in five. I would be shocked. Buker was wrong about Draymond being top Buker's five. So Buker's reasoning be wrong about was. This. Buker's reasoning was right. Uh, the Warriors are coming in having to play at their highest level, and they're already operating at that. The Cavs have not even been challenged almost right. the entire playoffs, right. and they're coming off of like a meaningful game that was like 10 days ago. Yeah, sure. So he says so he thinks they're going to take the beginning parts of the series, but he just thinks that the Warriors have had to play at a higher level, and he thinks they're better. I, I agree with that, but I would think this Cavs team is better than last year. Uh, I think they've had Golden State on their mind the whole year. Mm. People can't forget about that. Uh, and LeBron James is on a mission to prove that he's the best player in basketball. Man. And you have a Kyrie Irving and a Kevin Love. who they, They've seemed to gel at the right time here. They have gotten hot at the right time. Cleveland Cavaliers are better than the Oklahoma City Thunder, I, I think. So uh, I would have took Cleveland in that it's series It's so hard to tell because Cleveland didn't play anyone in the East. I don't know, but Cleveland, like... the one thing they have is LeBron James, who's clutch as So let me in. ask you on that. If LeBron beats Steph... Right. It's undoubtedly still LeBron's NBA. Right. That's what that says. If LeBron loses, is it Steph's NBA? I mean, it, it, I guess. I mean, uh, you have a hard time giving. Well, but Steph. LeBron James is a better basketball player than Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a great basketball player. He's the greatest shooter of all time. He's not a good a basketball player as LeBron James. I mean, LeBron James is uh, one of the best passers in basketball. Uh, he's certainly one of the best scorers. He's one of the best defenders. Yeah. And he's the great, you know, like we said last week, one of the three greatest athletes to ever play NBA basketball. So to put Steph Curry in that, it's not even fair to Steph Curry. But he is amazing, and the three-point line is the great equalizer. Uh, yeah, I, I still, I would never. So you're rooting for the Cavs. Right. But if you had to put money in Vegas, you'd pick the Warriors in how many games? I would probably go seven. Seven. Yeah, I think it's going to be an epic series. I think guys like Kyrie, I mean, people are underestimating, like, the fact of. That the, Steph has to guard Kyrie. And just the whole fact that Cleveland's pissed off from last year. Kyrie's pissed off that he didn't even really get to play at 100%. Same thing with Kevin And Love, Love didn't even get to play at all. So, yeah, uh, I just think Cavaliers have been trying to spread people out the entire playoffs, and that's the Warriors game, and I don't like teams that try and play the Warriors game. I hear you. That was partially why I thought Oklahoma City had a chance. Right. They were actually bodying right. up. I'm taking the Warriors in six. Okay. Uh, I think we have back-to-back championships. Uh, I think it's good for basketball. I see Warriors shirts everywhere. Down the shore, I mean, I saw a Joel Embiid jersey down the shore. Right. But I also see Warriors shirts well, everywhere. Let me ask you this. Would your, does your thought of LeBron James change whether no. he wins or loses this? Um, how he performs, it changes right. in terms of his performance. Like if he dominates it if and they end dominates. up pulling off the upset victory in the, the series, I guess he probably does go up in our laurels or whatever well, else, right? Well, I already have him in the top two or three. Yeah, right. Me and too. the fact that he's been to six straight NBA finals and it is in itself a feat it's, that I think nobody is giving enough credit wait, to. Nobody's really ever done it. I, I don't count the six, the Celtics of the 60s and 50s. Yeah, they had Nobody since then has them. done it. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I think if he 
The thing is, is that LeBron in the last two, three years has changed his body. He's in much better shape, and his conditioning at this time of the year should be good. Right. The issue two years ago during that sweat game was LeBron's cramping. And, oh, in big games he gets cramped up. Yeah. Haven't seen that. Last year's performance but, but, in the finals was incredible by LeBron. Carrying the team by himself. Every year is incredible. You, he carries every team by himself. Yeah, but last year putting up like I mean, he's played more minutes the last – what? This is the first year he took some games off. They didn't have a grueling playoff run. Yes. This is the first year he hasn't led the NBA in so, minutes. He was so killing everybody the last Mike five, Freeman six years. Mike Freeman wrote an article about uh, and one of the ten point stand. So in it, he talked about JJ Watt and right. how people are like annoyed and they think that he's like trying to be Hollywood and all that stuff. And I've always said, who was going to turn? People were going to turn on who first, Steph Curry or JJ Watt? Right. And they've definitely started turning on JJ Watt. Right. I know that a few of our producers laugh anytime he posts a picture and it's like all this stuff. Um, do you think it's because Steph Curry has a family too? Do you think that if J.J. Watt had a wife and a daughter... And the mom and dad sitting in the court all the time? Do you think if it wasn't just J.J., people wouldn't be turning on him? Ooh, that's, that's, a good, that's a very good question. Because I think part of it's because Steph looks like a 12-year-old. Yes. And no one wants to yell at a kid. No, you're right. You're I right, think right, that's that. part of it. Right. And J.J.'s so big and people are a lot more willing uh, to throw stones. He can stones. handle it. It's the right. same, oh, that's not a foul. You're right. big. You can handle it, LeBron. Right, right, right. But, but J.J., is starting to get the hate right now, but he also just put up another insane season. Yeah, I like don't, he's still producing. I don't get the hate. I mean, we can he can be corny, sure. There's no doubt. I sometimes go, man, you Steph are. Steph kind of seems corny. No doubt about it. And then they people get mad at JJ while he's Johnny Tryhard. Okay, so it's against the law to try hard in practice now. Like what? what oh, he's the best defensive player in football for like the fourth year in a row. So it's yeah. working. I don't understand the the criticism there. I think you're right though. Maybe a little more identifiable or feeling feeling for people when they see yeah. the family there in the crowd. And I do think you're right with like the young boy. Like it's LeBron. He could take nine people slapping him down the yeah. middle. I uh, mean, Steph is adorable. Yes. And the thing is, so you look at him and you're like, man, that could be any of us. But if LeBron James played the way Steph Curry did in the first five games of the last series, I, the the rhetoric and crap would have gone off the wall. Everybody has forgotten about it because he got hot in the end of game six yeah. and he got hot in game seven. But he was very pedestrian very. in the first five games for a unanimous MVP. Um, so me and Josh always joke about me being a journalist because uh, it's it's a word that I think is so overused to, to talk about people that are on right. camera. Thanks for being at the podcast, Josh. Yeah, thanks a lot, Josh. Thanks, you're, Josh. you're really great. You're great. I, I would not be doing my journalistic duty yeah. one week after talking about a baby bison to not bring up the gorilla. <laughs> now, I think the gorilla at the Cincinnati Zoo and everything that's happened, it's been very talked about. Everyone right. apparently is either a gorilla expert or a child expert. Right. Um, you are Mr. Animal. Right. I just want Chris Sims's take on the gorilla at the Cincinnati Zoo. <laughs> Unfiltered, unfocused. Of course, I was hurt right away when I heard. I was like, man, they had to kill the gorilla. I was hurt. I really I was. I marched up to my mom and dad and said, I would have let the kid die. Uh, and and I look, I'm, I'm telling you what my first reaction right. was. I said, Darwin's theory of evolution. You messed up. Right. That's what happens. That, why are we killing one for one? Right. Like, well, and then my parents looked at me and said, Adam. If that was your son, yes. you would. And I said, you're absolutely right. right. I didn't think about that. Right. That was super callous and exactly all that. Right. And then I was like, well, they need to pay $100,000. What is your solution to this? Well, there is no solution. I understand them shooting him too, right? They had to do that. That was part of it. Uh, you don't know. You tranquilize. You don't know what happens in those 10 minutes. Maybe he gets angry that he got a stung in his arm and he beats the, beats the kid to death. And then Who animal knows? experts have come out and said he would have killed the kid. Right. So, so uh, but... I think my issue with, first of all, like the parents need to be held accountable. They should have to go yeah. like clean up gorilla shit. 
for a year. I like that idea. You kind of said that last or uh, the other day in like a text or whatever. And I thought that is exactly right. They should have to go fill, pick up the gorilla sh for a year in that exhibit. And maybe all the animals. Maybe that's what they should have to do. But I do think the other thing that needs to be brought to attention is, um, I mean, the zoo is stupid as well. Yeah. The zoo is stupid. You're trusting that parents are going to be able to watch kids and there's, I'm sure there's field trips with mass quantities of kids. Field that, trips, completely understand. Right. Because you always hear about a kid being lost. You have two kids. Right. I think there was more kids with this family, though. I don't I think, think there was, was a lot of yeah, kids. Right. But, but are there times where you, because I don't have kids, where you just turn around and go, crap, where's Philip? It wouldn't be that time. I know that. It might be in my backyard and go, where's Philip? But if I knew there was a 1,000-pound gorilla below, no, that would not be the time the I would turn around. This is the first time where I've wanted to endorse leashes on children. You know, you've seen like those backpack <laughs> yeah, leashes. Yeah, right. I feel like now mandatory for the zoo. But what is the leash. zoo doing to entrust people who we know are stupid? I mean, all throughout That's the world. That's the hardest part about the story. How can you have a place where kids are. can get into a gorilla zoo or a gorilla enclosure? Kids. Whatever. That is unreal to me. I mean, truly unreal. So the zoo, the, they, maybe right. they should have to go clean up some other zoo shit. <laughs> I want to ask you this question. If that, let's say, God forbid, that was your kid. Right. And you look down and Philip's in there. Yeah. What are, A or her, how are you acting in that, in that situation? What are you doing at that moment? I mean, I would be freaking out. I might have jumped down. I know you would have. That's I why I asked. I mean, I might have gone down and just been like, f*** it. If this, sorry, I'm saying yeah, a lot and of then I saw the video. I saw the video of the gorilla dragging the kid and be like, what would he have done to you in a fight? Oh, I know. Well, he would have killed me, but at least maybe I would have told Philip to run while he was doing it and he would have got away. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know what I would have done. I, would, I thought about that a lot. All right, second question. Right. They shoot the gorilla. Right. Philip's now home with you and he's safe. Right. Are you punishing him? Like, how? What are you doing? Like, did he already learn his lesson? Do you think being scared straight? Learned, being his, like, learned his lesson. Not going to be give him too many life lessons at first. Probably let it go for a few days because the kid might have nightmares in general. Might. But I would think in a few weeks I would have to at least try to explain the situa- situation to him and what he did wrong. And the, I'm in the process of doing this with my five year old right now. The consequences. You act like a little baby and a jerk or a brat. Then daddy yells at you. That's what happens. Maybe you get spanked. That's what happens. Consequences. I was, I've been trying to explain this to him. You break the law, you might end up How having to deal with the policeman. This is going to get weird. <laughs> How hard is it getting, like, having reason with a five-year-old? Because, like, I have hard times reasoning with, like, 25-year-olds. So five-year-old, where they're, like, they're forgetting things or they're taking you very literally. Right. Well, he, for the most part, my little boy is a good boy, and he, he does listen. He's, he's capable of being like, okay, Dad, okay, yeah. And then he'll make comments, like, uh, you know, just whatever it may be, but he'll recognize, like, oh, did that person not, you know, belay, obey the policeman or whatever? So he, <laughs> uh, they grasp it. You, they got to give them more credit than may, sometimes we, look, we yeah. think. Uh, and we look at them, oh, they're so fragile, we can't say oh this. They're, they're capable of understanding and handling more. Um, and then the other thing that I want to talk about, because why not go random with you? Uh, so a new sushi place opened up across the street oh from me. Oh, my gosh. And you, your first... Where's CNBC? Are they coming in here what or what? Was your, what was your first comment when I said that? Uh... Well, I mean, yeah, another. Oh, we need more sushi places because, I mean, there's just not. I mean, here in New York City, we are on what, 57th and 7th. There's, there's a sushi place on every corner of every block for about. So how, are there, how can we continue this pace? 
There's not enough fish in the world to do this. So your concern is the yellowfin. Well, the yellowfin tuna, I watched a documentary on that, and people can call me crazy. I really don't give a damn. But, uh, yeah, the yellowfin tuna, they say, is going to be extinct within the next five to ten years. Because, I mean, anywhere you go, I go to Balducci's, I go to some uh, Japanese sushi place, tuna. they got tuna, they got fish. There's no way and the ocean has throw, this much and then fish. I always get salmon. Like, salmon's like my number one meal. And then you start, so what have you been, watching documentaries? I, well, yeah, they, you know, Bleach Report hasn't been making me work a lot. It's a slow time in the sport, NFL world. And you're world. telling me that they just swim around eating each other's feces. Yeah, it, uh, salmon, fish, for the most part, unless you know it's been reeled out of a river or whatever the heck, it, whatever the heck they are. Caught with a huge net. Yeah, that they are dirtier than pigs. Dirtier than pigs. They are swimming and breathing around Can their I own see feces. the control room so, really quick? Yeah. By, you guys by, like that? Yeah, well, I just want to see by a show of hands. And who I'm not perfect. Who, who fish. in there eats salmon a lot? Let's let's see. Because Lefko does. Got a bunch of hands. Oh. Okay. Who is going to stop eating as much salmon because the, apparently they're dirtier than pigs? Okay. Know. Simps, only one. Simps, the, the only one. The rest of you don't care. You just are pigs, basically. All you are pigs. I, well, here's my... like. So we've talked so many times on this podcast about new normals, about how we think in the world that one thing is true and then it's the other thing. I, I always say, you know, we used to think that fat was really bad for you, and now fat is actually better for you than sugar. Right. You know, oh, you, you could play football and you'll just be bruised up. You'll be a little dazed. No, we found <laughs> out that concussions actually really hurt you. Right. <laughs> I have been told now for like five, ten years that salmon is the healthy option. Salmon right. is the smart way to go. Right. And now you're telling me they're... Well, I wouldn't believe anything the food departments or the health departments say. Then who say. am I supposed to believe? I don't know. You just need to do the research on your own and make your own conclusions. That's why. Because there's too many big business dollars in the world that are trying to influence thoughts right now. So that's just the plain and simple fact of the matter. I mean, the fact that, what, the, the Food Administration, they said, like, Frosted Flakes were healthier. Or, no, Pop-Tarts were, were healthier than the natural kind yes. bar. Yes. I mean, that's, that's diabolical. All right, so CNBC came in. It was crazy. We had to edit some of that out. we got to get back to business. Yeah, let's get back to business. And now I'm sweating, yeah. and I'm really not excited yeah. about it. Uh, You're going to make fun of it? Cable TV makes you sweat. Oh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> um, all right, so one thing that you mentioned that you really wanted to talk to me about was Rob Ryan, what happened in New Orleans. He's been in the news a lot lately. He goes to Buffalo, right. pairs up with Rex, says they're going to beat the Patriots this year. Right. This is a week after he said, I didn't get to call my defense down there in New Orleans. Right. Sean Payton comes out and goes, that's not true. Right. And then Akeem Hicks backs up Rob. Yeah, well, I think the big thing there, first of all, Rob Ryan doesn't need to say we're going to beat the Patriots and all that. The, the Ryan's got to get away from that rhetoric. I don't think they can do that. I know, man. they might not be able to. But I do look at it and go, uh, first of all, I have great respect for Sean Payton. I think, you know, I think he's you one think of the best coaches yeah. of football. I mean, he truly is. But I also know enough football and have watched enough over the years to go, that was not Rob Ryan's defense there last year. They were trying to run the Seattle scheme. And when we talked about it in a number of Saints yes. videos that we did, everything else, and else like that. they didn't have the personnel for it. They didn't have the personnel for that. Nor would I say that Rob Ryan would know all the details and the little intricacies of that defense to be able to just say, oh, okay, we're going to run Seattle's defense. Yes. And uh, I've been with Pete Carroll. I mean, that's, that's impossible. So uh, I'm glad that Akeem Hicks comes out, says that, and sticks up for Rob Ryan. What's really funny is so that Bears book I was reading, right. a lot of it talks about Buddy Ryan. Sure. And I want to share one part of it yeah. where Buddy Ryan grew up in Oklahoma and he was a poor boy on this farm and, and he didn't have anything. One thing he would do when he first got into coaching football Right. when he would coach players is he would go into the bathroom and they were washing their hands. And any player that shut off the sink, right. but like while he was shaving, 
he would have more respect for because he knew those kids grew up in poor situations where they had well water right. and they couldn't just and all the guys that would just run the water he would go oh they're spoiled Silver I don't want them on my team <laughs> right. and I think what's interesting is if your dad is Buddy Ryan who would look at Mike Dicka and go sorry CNBC right. get the f- out of my defense, this is my team yeah, right, right now. Right. <laughs> that, like, you, it's going to rub off on Rob Ryan. Sorry, our podcast can curse. Look at our media relations They're girl is having it. a uh, yeah. heart attack but, over here. But the thing is, is you. if you grow up with Buddy Ryan right. as your dad, right. Do you think Rob and Rex are going to stop calling out the Patriots and say they're going to stop winning? I, I you know, listen, I, I, I agree with that, but we've talked about this before. We try to not to make the same mistakes our father does and things like that yeah, as well. But, but our I, fathers but it weren't their, Buddy Ryan. But it is in their natural DNA to be like that generally as well. I think that's part of the reason why they think they're so successful too. I'm sure. It's like we've talked about like Lawrence Taylor. Would Lawrence Taylor have been Lawrence Taylor if he was crazy at, you know, if he was a choir boy and went at home, would he be still Lawrence Taylor on the field? Mm. I don't don't know because part of Lawrence Taylor and who he was was the fact that he was crazy off the field and went out at night. Yes. And did it. So you're exactly right. Maybe taking that swagger or confidence from them makes them less of a I coach. Don't, I don't know. I would really, good, I would not want to play for the Ryans if they were tailored back. Yeah, I hear you. And you know, if I've met a hundred guys that have played for the Ryans, I mean, 99 of them love them. Love so. Them. I mean, they would do anything for them. They would take a bullet for them. So there's obviously something there. And I've met Rex many a times. Yes. I've only met Rob real quick in passing. But Rex, he's a Did great guy. Did you hear Rob's quote about two versus one with Belichick? No. So his quote was, right. Rex has always had success against Bill Belichick. Right. And I, I coached under Bill Belichick for four or five years, and I learned a lot about it. Yes. Well, now it's two versus one. It's both of us versus him. Right. Does well, that do anything for well, you? It, it, listen, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> because Bill is so innovative and constantly adjusting matter. his game and doing those things that it's almost impossible to keep up with Bill. Uh, but the one good thing is, yeah, Rob and Rex together is going to be an impressive combination. Rex is a great mind, and Rex is getting more involved with the defense, it sounds like, this year than he maybe he was last yeah. year. And now he has his brother there to also watch over it and know that the messages, the right messages are being relayed, which there's certainly something to that. Mm. Uh, and they have had success against New England Rex because, you know what I always say, he plays areas instead of players. He looks, and Belichick takes care of matchups. And yeah, and yes, if you try to match yeah. up. So he plays the area because he goes, oh, they throw the ball a lot to this area. I, just, That's I learned smart. something today. Right. I learned that I need Josh for structure because <laughs> this thing went off the balls. So uh, thank you guys very much. Episode 65. Fendrick's got to be back soon. Yeah. It'll be fine. Right. But, but here's the true thing. I know from talking to our booker, Paul, uh, there's a lot of cool guys coming up the pipe. Cool. I don't want to say them yet because it could change. Right. But we're going to have some cool guests the next few weeks in the Sims and Left Go podcast. Okay. Uh, hit us up on Twitter as always. Subscribe on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and watching episode 65. We appreciate you. Let's go, Cavs! Ooh.